Morning, church family. My, my name is David. I love being one of the pastors around here. A gift, a gift to gather. Pretty thankful. Um, man, this marks our third Christmas coming around, uh, which is pretty surreal to believe that we've been in Wisconsin. You start marking your time here by winters, right? Isn't that usually how it happens? Um, and uh, this coming Sunday, pretty excited. Uh, Megan Hamlet is putting on a night to remember uh, for, for our uh, um, families that have um, kids with special needs, as well as for us, any of us, to participate and, and just enjoy how God has uh, uniquely gifted and wired people. So looking forward to this coming Sunday night. Um, and, and, and I'd be remiss of saying this as we jump into what I think is going to be a challenging idea uh, this morning. Um, but but here's, here's, here's what we're about, right? Here's, uh, here's where we start. We believe that, that there is a God. Um, and every Sunday we gather uh, to just open up the text, to hear from him through his word. And, and we believe this process of what took place through these ancient texts is something called inspiration, that God inspired these very words. Um, and, and that he wrote through human authors, um, like Luke or Paul or Peter. And that we... 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years later, get to study these words, and we get to be recipients. And so every week, I, I hope in all of life, you're culturally discerning. When you hear something, sometimes you should go, is that true? Um, I hope that's also true in the church, that if there's ever some doubt or question, that you actually believe this is a place to process and, and, and wrestle through ideas collectively and together, believing that we're trying to hear from God through his word. But sometimes what it feels like is we are caught being second-handers where we're trusting someone else to tell us the ideas. And so my hope, our hope around here, we are becoming first-handers and hearing from God for ourselves and becoming culturally discerning to live that out in our everyday experience. And so today, um, there is the joy of Advent, um, that there is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Uh, that today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. Um, and, and I don't know if, as a parent, I have four kids now, um, there is this sense that I'm always looking for a present for the kids, and yet a year from now, where might that present find itself? There's a chance it might be at St. Vinny's this time next year, right? That there's, this, there's this inevitable trend and fad that comes and goes and I mean I, I couldn't even tell you what was popular 10 years ago you guys even remember it was like beanie babies or like talking Elmo I, I couldn't even tell you right and, and some of you um maybe maybe there was a time bell bottoms were a thing in your life and and, amen. <laughs> and, and maybe if you still have those it might be coming back and you could reintroduce reintroduce those bell bottoms but but things come and go constantly and, and and people are looking for this joy and happiness in life and and there was a promise that took place 2000 years ago of good news of great joy and and so as we get into the text this morning uh, I'm going to I'm going to ask you test this right Test this, because I'm going to come with an idea that might, for you guys, uh, be challenging, and yet even more than other Sundays, uh, I'm going to try and make a case of just how compelling this idea of joy and happiness is for the Christian, and how much our world is looking for happiness to be found, and they're searching so many empty wells, Christians actually have the answer that they are looking for, a transcendent happiness 
that is what this thirsty world needs. And, and so we're going to start here. Does, does the movie Shawshank Redemption mean anything to anybody? So there was a movie uh, about a guy who committed a crime and, and shows up. I think it was like a, a, a financial crime, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Andy shows up, and, and, and he's just kind of buttoned against the system, and, and he barricades himself in a room and, um, and, and begins playing opera music over the loudspeakers. And I'm going to read a quote from Red, one of the other prisoners, and the narrator of the Shawshank Redemption as he reflects on that experience. Here's what he says. He says, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid. I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words, and it makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a great place dares to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. As the music played and, and, the, and the movie portrays, the prisoners and the guards were entranced and looked upward towards these loudspeakers, looking for happiness beyond their current circumstance, looking for something those prison walls couldn't ultimately fulfill, and Andy was providing that. And so more than most Sundays, you guys know I love quotes. You guys know I love hearing from the text, usually in one specific text. Today, Unlike other Sundays, you're just going to get bombarded by quotes and bombarded by a variety of texts. But here's our hope that we want to hear about this good news of great joy that is for all the people. And so we're starting here. Does the name, a great theologian by the name of John Lennon, does that name mean anything to anybody? Before we go there, sorry. Before we get to John Lennon, I just want to give a sense of where I'm coming from. So I'm a recovering Pharisee. Uh, a guy that grew up in the system, grew up in the church, and, and, and grew up seeing joy in God on separate ends of the spectrum. That God wanted your holiness, not happiness. Uh, rather than seeing those connected, I had to give up this pursuit of joy in this life for knowing God. Instead, what the biblical writers seem to say is, is happiness is found in the person of Jesus. And that these actually become one and the same goal of the greater we give ourselves to finding our happiness, a God-given desire, we actually will ultimately land on this good news of great joy that is for the entire world, where the world is looking and have yet to find Christians actually have the answer to that happiness in Jesus. And that great theologian, John Lennon, exemplifies that search. He says this in a book by Steve Turner, The Gospel According to the Beatles. John Lennon wrote to an evangelist around the time where he wrote that letter, Money Can't Buy Me Love. It's true. Money can't buy me love. It's true. The point is this. I want happiness. I don't want to keep on with drugs. Explain to me what Christianity can do for me. Is it phony? Can he love me? I want out of hell. The great evangelist George Whitfield says this, is it the end of religion to make men happy, and is it not everyone's privilege to be as happy as he can? Does Jesus want your heart only for the same end as the devil does to make you miserable? No, he only wants you to believe on him that you might be saved. This, this is all the dear Savior desires to make you happy, that you may leave your sins to sit down eternally with 
him. And you might not recognize all these names, but here is another uh, third century church father. He says this, every man, whatever, whatsoever his condition, desires to be happy. Now you go, David, my, every decision I make is not motivated by my desire to be happy. David, don't you know I've cleaned a dirty diaper, I don't know how many times, at like 3 a.m. in the morning. That There's no happiness to be found in cleaning that diaper. And yet I press you to say, but is there happiness in providing for the needs of your sweet, little, beautiful child, and by your taking care of that dirty diaper are, are alleviating that pain, finding your happiness in taking care of your child. Every man, whatsoever his condition, desires to be happy. Happiness is what all mankind wants to obtain. The desire for it is deeply planted in the human heart. Uh, a guy by the name of J.C. Ryle wrote a book on systematic theology. Ah, man, and, and this one gets me. A.W. Tozer says this, man is bored because he is too big to be happy with that which sin is giving him. Do you hear the idea in there? Man is bored. Man, man is just chasing every single well they possibly can. The idea of just sitting in a room by yourself contemplating life, I mean, what do I instantly do? I can't be alone with myself for like three seconds without just, oh man, I wonder what's going on in the news. Oh man, I wonder what's going on. Man is bored because he is too big to be happy with that which sin is giving. There's something more that we are looking for to fill this God-shaped hole and no matter how many things we chase, it's not going to be filled until it's filled with this good news of great joy that is for all the people. And so if you take pictures of the slides, we are going to start posting the PowerPoint slides because I know I put, I think this number has like 80 slides. Uh, just FYI, we're just bombarding you, but we've already gone through like 20 of them, so don't worry. Man is bored because he is too big to be happy with that which sin is giving him. These empty wells never quite fill. Here's what Luke says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all that went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, I hear this story. This is such a familiar story that we hear, and yet I, I, its meaning and impact, I, I love the Advent season. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The angel has a profound message, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Fear not, for behold, I bring you that news that is going to fill that longing for happiness and it's going to be accessible for everyone. And here's where they continue. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, we, we can't just sit in this. We got to do something. This happiness is propelling in action. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And we're going to pick these two verses up. Oh, excuse me. These two verses up next week. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary... Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen as it had been told to them. So this Advent season, we are going to press into how joy and happiness are these beautiful ideas captured in the Christmas story. And we experience more joy because we delight, not in the stuff, but in the person and in the promise of this good news. So pray with me as we jump in this morning. God, what an absolute privilege and gift to come before you week in and week out to anchor our lives in you. Like a boxer returning to a corner in the midst of the Monday to Saturday grind and fight, we return for a reprieve to hear from you on Sunday collectively as a multi-generational family. So reveal yourself to us wherever we find ourselves on this journey of seeking our joy in you. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So, so buckle up. I just assume some of us might already be feeling something as we enter into this conversation. So as we unpack it, wrestle with it, navigate it, discern it. But here's where the great news, this good news of great joy is founded. It is founded in a happy God. The good news of great joy that's for all the people is found in a happy God. So, so do you see God as a happy God? When you think about this being, does it strike you that he's a happy God? I just want to look back at creation and hear the way God talks about what he does. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Not just kind of good, it was just so-so. God is delighting in his creation, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And in Job 39, as God is telling Job about his creation, there's a part where he starts describing a war horse. A war horse! This is what he says. He says this to Job. Do you give the horse his might, Job? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. His paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear, and the javelin with fierceness and rage. This war horse that I created swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, this being that I created, this horse, is striving to... To go forward. Aha. I mean, do you think about God's creation and, and what is going on? I mean, I just go, there's creativity that exists all around. You ever been to the zoo? I mean, a giraffe, stinking long neck. How, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create an animal that has long neck so it can just, just lick leaves that are like 30 feet in the air. A hippo. A hippo. I mean, this is a a cute little, but then they crush those. You ever seen them chuck watermelons in a hippo's mouth? It's a fascinating process. A llama. We were driving out here on like, I think it was MM or something, and somebody owns like two llamas. They just have them tucked in. I'm like, look at those things. 
those goofy-looking animals, just God's creativity at, at work. And yet he goes a step further. A pink armadillo. I mean, you can't just be content with a gray armadillo. Who wants a gray armadillo? Let's do a pink armadillo. So God creates a pink armadillo. That, that little thing, a Dumbo octopus. A Dumbo octopus. Why do you need a Dumbo octopus? I don't know, but God said, I'm going to create a Dumbo octopus. A duck-billed platypus. I mean, the creativity is just astounding. I just, is God a happy God? You look at his creation and you can't help but see the creativity and delight all around us. And then you guys know what that thing is in the top left? Anybody know? I didn't want to have to pronounce it. I was hoping one of you might know how to pronounce this thing. It's like an, it's called an ox, ox, oxitotl. Oxitotl, is that right? Did I, nope, someone's like, nope, you did not, you just butchered that. But go look it up. I go, these creatures, an oxalotl. I think is the name of it. Oxalotl. I mean, just the creativity of God's design. I was sitting with Hudson just the other day, and he goes, Dad, what are these bumps on my tongue? I'm like, buddy, those are taste buds. <laughs> I, I, you can taste your mac and cheese. It doesn't taste that good when you get that spicy Cheeto mac and cheese, but if you want that kind and that's a flavor you like, go for it. But the flavors that God has designed in this world... He, he didn't have to do that, and yet he delights in his creation. And I love the way Charles Spurgeon connects now creation to God's redemption. He says this, The gospel is like wine which makes us glad. Let a man truly know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he will be a happy man. And the deeper he drinks into the Spirit of Christ, the more happy he will become. That religion which teaches misery to be a duty is false upon the very face of it. For God, when he made the world, studied the happiness of his creatures. You cannot help thinking as you see everything around you that God has seducedly, with the most strict attention, sought ways of pleasing man. He has not simply just given us to our absolute necessities, he has given us more. Not simply the useful, but even the ornamental. The flowers in the hedgerow, the stars in the sky, the beauties of nature, the hill and the valley. And all these things were intended not merely because we needed them, we just needed food. There are other ways, and yet flavor just erupts. All these things were intended not merely because we needed them, but because God would show us how he loved us and how anxious he was that we should be happy. Now, it is not likely that the God who made a happy world would send a miserable salvation. He who is a happy creator will also be a happy redeemer. That embedded in the gospel story is, is a happiness to be found in Jesus above anything else this life has to offer. That now it is not likely that the God who made a happy world would send a miserable salvation. Instead, he who is a happy creator will be a happy redeemer. That the good news of great joy comes from a happy God. And the good news of great joy comes when we happily receive the greatest promise. Here's how Luke said it in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great delight, of great happiness, of great joy that is for all people. And so you've heard these, you've possibly seen these. I've done this before. I'm just going to give you an onslaught of other texts where we see the joy of God in rescuing and ransoming and connecting his people. Here's what the psalmist says, Psalm 511. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. 
Let them ever sing for joy and spread for your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand pleasures forevermore. Then I will go to the altar of God, to my God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with lyre, O God, my God. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then when one person comes to know Jesus to find their satisfaction, their salvation in him and him alone, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. That there is a returning to this to this satisfaction of our soul. And I want to go back to this verse one more time. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. What you might hear is, well, David, I I didn't see the word happy in there at all. I heard a lot of joy. I heard a lot of rejoicing. There's no happiness in there. And what it feels like sometimes is we put joy and happiness in these two categories, that joy is somehow this constant and happiness is this floating ethereal experience that that joy has this multi-dimensional aspect to it and and happiness is this one-dimensional very superficial that that joy is maybe a little closer to heaven and happiness is just a little more closer to those sinners down on earth those pleasure seekers down on earth does the name johnny erickson tata mean anything to anybody so she was a lady paralyzed early in her life and then has begun Uh, just sharing her joy in Jesus everywhere she goes. And she writes a devotional, and she expounds upon one of the Psalms, Psalm 68, 3. She expounds and shares her perspective as she's trying to navigate these circumstances. Here's what she says. Psalm 68, 3, in the NIV, this is how it's translated. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Johnny says this, we are often taught to be careful of the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness, it is said, is an emotion which depends on what happens to you, a false etymology. Joy, by contrast, is supposed to be enduring, stemming from deep within our souls and which is not affected by circumstances surrounding us. I don't think God has any such hair splitting in mind. Scripture Scripture uses the term interchangeably along with the words such as delight, gladness, blessing. There is no scale of relative spiritual values applied to any of these. Happiness is not relegated to fleshly-minded sinners nor joy to heaven-bound saints. Instead, the Bible continues to call people that there is good news of great joy that will be for all people. And what it feels like sometimes is we as Christians say, I have the joy of the Lord in my life. What just seems to be missing? Joy. That I have to buckle down and I just got to do it and I got to will it. And yet what seems to be absent from that experience is the very thing the world is looking for. They want to see something more that transcends, that they can transfix their gaze on and say that, that is what I want. I want more of that, what that person has. And we saw it in the song we sang. O come, O come, Emmanuel, joyful and triumphant, that we would sing in exaltation and Lord, we greet thee. You are born this happy morning, our Savior. And so there is good news of great joy that comes from a happy God that's received with gladness. 
That is core to what it means to find our life in Jesus. And then, good news of great joy can't help but be expressed back to God. We saw the shepherds hear this word, and then what do they do? Let's skip down to verse 19 and 20. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned. What did they do? Did they keep this to themselves? Did they just kind of like, oh, you know, it's not quite something I want to share. They returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. But here's the question for me. Why does this joy sometimes feel so elusive? As we go through this life, why does this joy that we hear about in life, this happiness of Jesus, feel so elusive? In the midst of the circumstances, it doesn't often feel like it's all that near at hand. Here's a quote from a professor back at Biola, uh, wrote a book on the Trinity. His name's Fred Sanders. He said, a gospel which is only about the moment of conversion but does not extend to every moment of life in Christ is too small. A gospel that gets your sins forgiven but offers no power of transformation is too small. That that if following Jesus is about a one-time decision that has no impact on the rest of your life, that gospel is too small. Another contemporary pastor says it this way, accepting Jesus isn't just adding Jesus, it's also subtracting idols. That this ongoing journey of spiritual transformation isn't meant to be lived in isolation with me as a monk just trying to figure it out and will myself, but rather it's done in the context of community of not just just accepting Jesus, but seeing the other things in this life have less sway. Let good and kindred go this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but what? What? His truth abideth still. Don't fear him who can kill the body. Fear him who can cure the soul. Kill the soul. If, if I'm clinging to Jesus and everything else is taken away, what do I still have? Jesus. And so what does life become? Life becomes this unending series of events, even into eternity, to a finite being living into eternity. We could talk about that when we talk about end times sometime. But an unending series of events where these things in life that I I find happiness in begin to hold less sway over my life. And my happiness in Jesus increases, where nothing else matters. You know, as a pastor, and I say, I've said this before, what do I want for you? As your pastor, I just want you to be happier tomorrow than you are today. I want you to be happier in Jesus tomorrow than you are today. But why does this joy feel so elusive at times? Anybody have circumstances in their life they'd prefer not experience? Anybody have challenges that are just weighing and clinging to your soul that you prefer not to have? Maybe some challenging cultural experiences, professional experiences, financial challenges. Here's how Paul encourages his readers. In 2 Corinthians, one of four letters Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Paul loves these people. We only have two of them. The other two, lost in translation somewhere. We don't know where they are. We got two of the four letters. Paul loves these people. And here are his words to a community that just feels like this joy feels elusive for them. Here's what he says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay. What's the treasure? 
Ha! Jesus. We have this treasure, he says, to his people. He says, we have this treasure. And, and, and where is it? In jars of clay. Who, who are the jars of clay that he's referencing? I mean, broken people like us. Just a bunch of knuckleheads running around trying to figure this thing out. Amen, yes. Tell us, Sean, I believe it. Broken vessels that carry this treasure. That there is brokenness that is so pervasive in our lives. But what do we tend to do? Sometimes we start condemning others for their brokenness. Instead, we have this treasure in the midst of our brokenness. That's the essence of grace, right? Nothing we did to deserve this treasure, and yet we have it. And people are looking for it. There's good news of great joy for all people available. People are looking. They want something that transcends their circumstance. And we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show how good we are? To show just how accomplished and successful we are? What does he say? To actually show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. That there is happiness to be found in a relationship with Jesus and, and, and it's contained, we are carrying this relationship as we live our lives, demonstrating with our brokenness, oh man, you know what I did? I found that idol, whatever that happiness was that was claiming, ugh. no one sins out of duty, right? You guys believe that? No one's like, oh, I got twi- my, my arm was twisted into sinning. No, you sin because you thought that thing was gonna bring happiness. And so there's this brokenness that we live with every day And yet there is this treasure that we have. Why? To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. But then what does he say? You ready for the marketing pitch of what it means to follow Jesus? You guys ready for this one? Here's the marketing pitch Paul gives us. He says, but we are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, forsaken, struck down. Here's, Here's what life of following Jesus looks like. There's a quote from G.K. Chester. He said, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would live fearlessly, that they would have absurdly happy lives, and they'd be in constant trouble. This is the life of those that follow Jesus. He says, this is what's going on in your life. Whatever might be going on, and you go, huh, I have no idea why this is happening. I love John Piper. He had a quote where he said, there's like 10 million things taking place in life. We might know three of the reasons. I might not know what's going on. I might not like what's going on. But here's what I find confidence in. That in the midst of this, what is it? We are afflicted every way, but we are not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because I'm looking ahead to a future reality beyond this where my life is anchored in. And it colors everything else in my experience. That I'm, I'm utterly, utterly convinced. And I had it written down so I could say it a lot more pointedly than that, right? But there is this sense that in the midst of the circumstances, my life is anchored beyond this. That I get three score and ten, and then what? Eternity. And so he says, as I walk through this life, here's his encouragement to us. He says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, 
so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What's he saying? I know it's Christmas and we want to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I love celebrating birthdays. But Paul is saying this death that Jesus died and the life he lived actually gives us great confidence that I'm living my life, my physical life, that when I live my physical life, live it in the life and death of Jesus, carrying in my life his death, that that actually gives me great confidence as I experience anything in this life. And then he continues in verse 14. Same thread, just two verses later. Why? Why can I continue to have this confidence knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring you into his presence? That the good news of great joy comes from a happy God that we've happily received. We've assessed everything else in life and said there is more joy in this. Man, that present that I bought, Beanie Babies, man, that's going to be gone, right? Talking Elmo. Ah, probably had saved any somewhere. You could buy 10 of them. Bell bottoms, you might have stuck those in your closet and they're coming back this coming year. But this is good news of great joy that then happily gets expressed. And then good news of great joy that happily overflows into the lives of others. Here's what, the, here's what Luke tells us about the actions of the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That same author that same author that promised 700 years before Jesus' arrival in Isaiah, here's what he said. He said, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Pick it up at verse, I think, yeah, there you go, 15. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also and bring us with him into his presence, for it is all for your sake. It is all for your sake. Every week, and you guys hear me say this, I can't believe you graciously and give me the privilege of paying me to be one of your pastors. It is for your sake. I love sharing about this joy we have in Jesus. It is value one. I mean, that's it. That's what we're about. Enjoy Jesus and make disciples. Enjoy Jesus and help others enjoy Jesus. It is for your sake. I just want you to be happier tomorrow than you are today in Jesus. I want to see the other empty wells you're chasing continue to become less satisfying in light of his glory and his grace. And may we then model that as you do something for someone else's sake. Why would you spend your money to help someone out? Why wouldn't you just want to hoard that? Because we believe it is better to give than to receive. Well, why would I spend my time, my treasure, or my talent in a way that isn't set on me, but actually in helping someone else find their happiness in Jesus? It is for your sake, so as grace extends to more and more people, that it may increase with thanksgiving, good, and God's glory, that we live for God's glory and our joy, Paul says. So, Whatever might be afflicting you in the moment, what's his encouragement to us? Don't lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. What's guaranteed? I mean, you, know, you guys know I'm 37 now. Have we talked about this? 
I was playing basketball last week with a buddy, and game two out of four, I got a Charlie horse in my, my hamstring. And I was like, I, I can't shake this. <laughs> this is not fun. This is no good. Then I kind of hobbled my way. Should I go one more step? These guys were about 10, 12 years older than me, and I couldn't keep up with them. I'm like, man, this is depressing. This is so depressing. What is that an example of? The outer self is wasting away. The outer self is wasting away. If you were clinging, if you were clinging to the things of this life to bring satisfaction, those things are slowly going away and they're piling up at St. Vinny's where you can buy them for like 99 cents. The outer self is wasting away. But what does he say? The inner self is being renewed day by day. The thing that no one can take away the thing that anchors our lives. Like those opera singers singing through those loudspeakers, people were looking for something beyond this life. And so for this light momentary affliction, this light, interesting use of words, momentary, again, interesting use of words, affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are seen, as we, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so I want you to hear the story of one of our people, Maxine Sebastian, as she shares about her experience of how she's navigating her life. Hi, I'm Maxine Sebastian. I've been a part of the Hillcrest family for, I think, 17, 18 years now. I've been a Sunday school teacher. I've been a Awana director, the Sparky's director. I've uh, uh, been the ushers, the door greeters. I've been the uh, hospitality director. I've done just about everything but preach a sermon. <laughs> and I don't think anybody's going to want to hear me. <laughs> I had, had pain in my back, and you know, so I went to the emergency room, and he goes, uh, you have some tumors on your, your spine. And I go, what? And he goes, no. And he goes, yeah. Found out that I do have uh, tumors on my spine, uh, by my neck and in between my shoulder blade and then at my upper back and then my lower back. So I was home for a day and a half and I reached up in the cupboard to grab a bottle of vitamins and I just felt something snap in my neck and I was like, oh, oh, and I just doubled over the sink in pain. So I went back to the hospital and I had fractured my neck. For five days of uh, um, radiation, which has pretty much fried my throat, and uh, my, I, my throat is very sore and my tongue was very so sore, and I belch a lot, so don't mind me if I belch. But spend two weeks ago today that I had the biopsy and it's still they're still testing so that's where I'm at today hmm. a lot of times I like to read about Paul in the Bible and this morning I was reading about him again and and he was saying how he had been shipwrecked and and beaten and stoned and all the things that he had gone through and he finds joy in that because in his weakness he has found strength and so I that speaks to my heart and I see that in my weakness I have found strength so I know that that God and Jesus are with me I have no idea how much longer I have left on this earth neither do you neither does anyone else 
but I just remember that Jesus is in control. God's in control, and they're going to carry me through this, and whatever the outcome is, it's like Tommy used to say, I'm in a win-win situation. If I live, I get to stay with my family and be here a little bit longer. If I, if I die, I'm going home. Jesus has got my room prepared for me, and he says, in my father's mansion, I have many rooms, and he goes to prepare it. So when he has my room ready, I'm gonna go. There's nothing anybody can say or do. I'm gonna go. So I find joy in that and peace. Well, joy for me uh, in Jesus looks like the people at Hillcrest. I like to love on people. As you know, I'm always a huggy person that people go, oh, watch Maxine at the door. She's going to hug you, you know. I'm always the huggy person. And I have so many people who love me and care about me and care about my family and are, are praying for me. It's just the joy that I get from that. And I've had recently when I was in the hospital, uh, I had the opportunity when I got the biopsy at my hip and I asked the doctors before they started the biopsy, I said, do you mind if I pray for you? And they said, oh, no, sure. So they came over and stood by my bed and they put their hand on my leg and, and uh, I prayed for them and I prayed for the whole hospital and everybody there. And then I had another opportunity. This one lady was, I was working a puzzle there and she came and sat down beside me and she's 70 years old and I introduced myself and asked her why she was there and she kind of pulled up her gown and showed me she had a dent in her leg where they had taken cancer off of her leg and I go oh my I'm sorry I go well what's what was what are you in fear for now and she pulled it up a little bit higher and she has another big lump and she said they have to do something about this and I said oh I'm so sorry and we talked and I said would do you mind if I pray for you and she said oh no I love it so I prayed for her that she would find peace and that she would find the love of Jesus Christ and that he would comfort her through, through what she's going through. And uh, when the nurses came out to get her to take her back to her room for some you know, procedure or something, she turned to the nurse and she said, this lady just made my day, she prayed for me. And my heart just kind of went out to her and it was just like Jesus was leading me to her and I wanted to be Jesus with skin on for her. I want people to feel loved by me. I want them to see the love of Jesus Christ coming flowing from me. When I say I want to be Jesus with skin on, I really mean that. I really do want to be Jesus with skin on. So when I die, people will say she was a good Christian woman. that I hope you heard in Maxine's story, uh, just this uh, desire to find her happiness in Jesus and see that manifest in the relationships around here. And, and so uh, this week, this Christmas season, here's, here's where I hope you get to spend a considerable amount of time uh, that you will return to read Isaiah 9, 1 to 7 every day and continue to ponder this salvation message, this salvation this salvation message that is offered, that there is joy, good news of great joy offered. And then, much like you heard Maxine say, that we will focus on the eternal, our true home. Like Tommy says, <laughs> that we can find uh, our focus on the eternal, true home. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and that if that feels elusive, 
if that, if that happiness in Jesus feels elusive or, or those still feel like those are hard ideas to put together that you will continue to wrestle through uh, this, this idea of good news, of great joy and the promise of an eternal home and how that would then impact our life today. How might a fuller picture of our eternal home impact the circumstances? What's going on right now? In five minutes, I won't be thinking about what's going on right now in five days that won't bear much significance from my life. What's going on that in five months, it will not hold much influence. What's going on (laughs) five years, five trillion years, when my true home is more clear, how might that impact my life today? And then, man, living on mission is worth it. You heard Maxine say that there was a pray and watch that was taking place even in the hospital room. That living on mission is worth it. What might it look like to share your joy this Christmas season? To continue to see ourselves as everyday missionaries that are enjoying Jesus and then just want to share that joy with others. That we see ourselves as just jars of clay, broken vessels, beggars that have found food and we just want to share it with everyone we come in contact with. Pray with me. God, you're so good. Thank you for Maxine's story uh, of finding her joy in you. And like G.K. Chesterton, may we be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and yet just as you promised, as we follow you, constant trouble, uh, knowing that there is always room to grow in following and trusting you more. And so... Uh, Help us experience this joy in you, this joy in Jesus, a little bit more fully this week. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen.